Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you are not already, you can become a Major Spoilers patron by pointing your browser to patreon.com slash major spoilers. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, we are unwritten. You can't read our minds. We're undefined, but that's okay, because we'll just tell you what we're thinking about the first volume of Unwritten. We're here to talk comics and movies and video games and chew bubblegum, and we're all out of bubblegum. So can we borrow three bucks to buy bubblegum? Major spoilers, your hand-picked smorgasbord of awesome with craft Dinner and ketchup, deep-fried butter, corn dog fritters, and a big old bottle of grapefruit haritos, and we're on the air. Welcome to issue 935 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you for downloading and checking us out this week. You've only got Matthew and I to deal with, and if you're already tense on the edge of your seat because of the Major Spoilers pre-show, I think it'll get better. Don't worry. If you're wondering what happened. We were talking about uh, people flying into space and whether they are inherently evil or not. That's the gist of the, of the conversation. So you can go listen to that. Oh man, it's like 35, 40 minutes of uh, uh, stuff. And if you were someone, it's, you know, informative to people and not just, you know, flying. It's hard to say. No, I think it's good to listen to different sides. And even if I have to play devil's advocate, um, I don't mind. You have to, you choose to. No. And I, it's difficult to sit there and say, oh, yes, um, all apple pies are bad. Apple pies are the worst. And me just sit there and go, yeah, you're right. You're correct. All apple pies are, are bad. That's, that's true. They are. But, you know, I, I prefer to, in some instances, sit there and go, ah, but we don't know about we don't know about a honey crisp apple pie. That could be one of the best apple pies you've ever tried in your life. And oh, suddenly Steven's playing the devil's advocate. Oh man, he is the worst person in the world because he's always doing the devil's advocate. Always taking the side of apple pie. Yeah. Why are you always siding with pie, Steven? I like pie. I like key lime I like pie, cake. which I don't, I don't think key lime pie is actually a pie. It's more of a cake custard. Is like, cake is you know, good. I like cake. But, but I think for people that have listened to Major Spoilers podcast over the years, no, I am not a big dessert person. Um, I rarely eat dessert. Like we've had a couple of slices of key lime pie in the freezer for like almost a month now. And I love key lime pie and I haven't touched them because it's just like, well, I'm not in the mood for key lime pie right now. Tonight I had watermelon. Oh, let me tell you about watermelon. I actually, have you tried that watermelon mustard thing? No, but we've had watermelon with the, um, the Salt? spice stuff on it. Oh, what spice stuff? I can't remember what it's Zatarans? called. Zatarans? No. It's not I, I actually, my oldest son was like, dad, you, we were having watermelon the other night. He's like, oh, dad, you should do the mustard thing. And I was like, oh yeah, you want me to try it? And they're all egging me on. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And I had a chunk that was maybe two inch by two inch square. Mm-hmm. And I put just a little drop of mustard on there. I think I actually put too much. I put a picture of it on the Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. I put a little, and it was a, it was a different taste. It was not something I expected. Mm-hmm. It was kind of sweet and kind of sour at the same time. It kind of had a candy taste, but not. I think right. the biggest problem that I had was it had a little bit of a mustard taste on the backside, which made me think that I put too much mustard on there. And that for that two inch by two inch slice, I probably, probably could have put half the amount and I would have had the experience all the way without a watermelon or mustard taste on the back end. 
So it, it was different. I, I'm probably not going to do it again, but you know, if it's going to make my kids go, Oh, that's gross. Uh, yeah, I'll do it. You know what else is gross? The news. What do you got for us this week, Matthew? This week. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. If you have been watching the Batwoman series on the CW, you're going to want more bats and you're going to want more women, which is why you're going to want to know about Batgirl. The hunt for Batgirl is heating up as the movie adaptation is about coming to screen. Batgirl, of course, uh, first appearing in Detective 359 in January of 67. HBO Max is now looking like where we're going to see the Batgirl feature film, although, you know, that can change. It'll probably be in the theaters as well. I mean, the way things are going right now, anything could happen. I don't know. But Batgirl is going to be directed by Adil El Arbi and Bilal Fila, the guys who did Bad Boys for Life. Uh, Christina Hodson is listed as the screenwriter, so hopefully we'll see us some uh, Batwoman. Yeah, there's girl, some uh, rumor stuff up on uh, Variety uh, today that was talking about how the In the Heights, uh, Leslie Grace and the Five Feet Apart actress Haley Lou Richardson are both uh, current mm. contenders for the for the Batgirl series. I don't know. Anytime you see this stuff, it just means agents are leaking stuff right. to the press and that kind of stuff. Um, it's interesting that HBO Max is looking at, you know, looking at this as maybe just a feature film for their streaming service, certainly as they're trying to up subscribership uh, and we'll see if their subscribership goes up. I know uh, this week Netflix announced that their subscribership actually stalled or fell a little bit in the last quarter. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what these big streaming companies uh, and that's what they are at this point, megacorps, uh, how they look to streaming and how they try to try to play it in their favor. And, and maybe it is making these original movies like Netflix has been doing and like uh, Disney is doing and, and, and HBO max uh, to see how they can, how they can shape the future of storytelling. I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on the Batgirl uh, news, Matthew. Um, I'm interested in how they're going to differentiate it from Batwoman, especially since the Batwomen. They'll see one is a on woman. TV. The other is a right. girl. Right. But uh, is a girl, not a type of woman. Yeah, I I am kind of interested in that as well. Her, I mean, she not bleak? is I mean, is it going to be? Because I I think they are very distinct uh, from one another. When you yes. look at Batwoman, who is you know clearly LGBTQA uh, plus uh, character, and then Batgirl, who is kind of like Jim Gordon's daughter. Uh, so you've got some hero worship type stuff that goes on with that. I'll be very interested to see how they set those two things apart. I just feel like a lot of times when it comes to these adaptations, they kind of streamline things down to more traditional superhero, quote unquote, stereotypes. So we saw a lot of that in Justice League, where the things that made the leaguers unique were kind of sanded down a little bit. And mm -hmm. I feel like the Batwoman series has been pretty good. But some of the things they're doing with Batwoman kind of lean into turf that I always associate with Batgirl. So It'll be interesting to see how they differentiate the two, just like, you know, the movie flashes movie Supergirl, how they're going to make sure, you know, that it's not just the same or, you know, less good than Melissa Benoist. I don't know. Yeah, we will see. Wizards of the Coast have announced its next three expansions for Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. These a lot of these were announced during their D&D live event last weekend. Uh, in September, players will be able to venture into the Witch-like Carnival, where the magic of Feywild and possibly a ride that's straight out of the animated television series appears. Then in October, uh, Fizbin's Treasury of Dragons arrive that includes a deep dive into the world of dragons and how GMs can bring these creatures into, the, into their games. And then finally, in November, we'll go back to campus as Strixhaven, a curriculum of chaos, introduces role players to the multiverse of Magic the Gathering and sets up the various houses of the five colleges. 
all of these books will have a $49.95 price tag when they're released each month. I was really kind of taken aback, Matthew, by the uh, the news that um, that the ride, the carnival ride that we see mm-hmm. in the Dungeons Dragons animated series actually makes an appearance in the Witchcraft Carnival. Uh, so if you look at the map that's going to come with this, you can see it. It's right there. And I'm I'm actually really sort of fine with that. I've always said that part of the problem with the things that we grew up with was that it was considered so separate, you know? 66 Batman was a different character than 89 Batman. And now people are like, no, everything's a multiverse. We're going to throw it all together. And I loved the opening sequence of Dungeons and Dragons. And it always kind of bothered me that there wasn't, you know, in every game, there wasn't a little bald man who would show up and be awesome and tell you what to do. So I like tying in that bit of weird D&D ephemera from 1983 to the actual game for the people who remember it. And for yeah, the people I, who don't, they can just go, that's dumb. And stupid no, and I think away. actually, I believe that there's an in-game mechanic, or at least in this module, uh, that there's a mechanic sure. where that takes you to the Feywild when you go through there, oh. that, that it may be a, I don't know you if they You can ride the roller coaster to yeah, another yeah. world. Yeah, you actually can ride it to another world in there. And that's why, the, that's why they- And Tiamat will be there trying to eat your face. Well, and that would then tie into the uh, Treasury of Dragons, although the very first- first uh, campaign for uh, fifth edition, I believe was the uh, tyranny of dragons, which had you fighting Tiamat as the big bad in the, in the end of that, that initial wow. campaign, which they've already re-released that. That was, that was another interesting thing. I want to say like two years ago, maybe that they re-released the, um, the tyranny of dragons as a complete set. I think originally it was done in two different books and now this time they've released it as a single book. So uh, people can go and and check those out. Speaking of 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 games, Matthew, uh, mm-hmm. ICV two has their list of the top role playing games for the spring of twenty twenty one. Would mm-hmm. you care to guess what uh, is in the number one position? I'm gonna say Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, Dungeons and Dragons is number one. Cyberpunk is at number two. Pathfinder at number three from Paizo. Uh, we're currently playing Starfinder over on Critical Hit, so if you want to see Pathfinder in space, you definitely want to go check that out because Kevin is a great GM on that. Then we had the Alien RPG from Free League Publishing came in at number four, and 5E compatible games from various uh, filled into their number five on that. We also have the Hobby Channel, so those are uh, more traditional board games. Uh, number one for spring of 2021 was Gloomhaven, which I was very surprised to see that still in a top spot. These are the franchises that are the top 10 hobby channel board games for 2021. Betrayal right. at House on the Hill from Avon Hill is still high. Wingspan in at number three. Dune Imperium at four. Cubitos. 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 Uh, from Alderac Entertainment Group, we've got Root from Letter Games at number six. Azul at seven. Unmatched at eight. Scythe, which is a very fun game to play at number nine and quacks of Quedlingburg from North star <laughs> games is at number 10, which I have no idea Woo-hoo. what those are. Are you familiar with any of those beyond the, the ones that are common? I think quacks of Quedlingburg, if I'm not mistaken, was the pilot for ducktales back in uh, 91. Yeah. Uh, something like that. Yeah. Would you now take a guess on the top collectible games for the spring of 2021? <sighs> What's that thing that you play? Uh, no, uh, which one, are, which one are you talking about? Cause I play the a lot one of that games. You play with the, with the Marvel thing. Oh, Marvel United. Now that's a really fun game. No, that's not on this list at all. It's not. Okay. That's so from cool mini or not. Collect. Yeah. Oh, these are top CCGs, collectibles. Yeah, I'm yeah, going to yeah. go with magic. The yeah, magic, the gathering at number one. What's number yeah. two. 
Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. Yu-Gi-Oh is at number three. Oh, cool. Pokemon is at number two. Oh, cool. D&D Icons of the Realm at number four. Flesh and Blood five. Digimon number six. Cardfight Vanguard at number seven. Pathfinder Battles at eight. Hero Clicks at nine. And Dragon Ball Super at number 10. If we look at uh, the top five collectible games overall... Uh, Pokemon takes the top spot. Magic the Gathering at two. Yu-Gi-Oh at three. D&D Icons of the Realm in Flesh and Blood at five. So that's wow. uh, some of the, the things that they have gathered over the last couple of months uh, through their own means. A lot of the times that is just calling up shops and finding out what their top sellers are and then extrapolating that. But uh, hey, do with that. Hey, what are you selling? Well. Yeah. Hey. That's kind of what it is. Hey, what are your top sellers this week? Uh, you know, can you give us some numbers? And then they they base it out from there. Although we do know from and we've talked about this in the pre-show we do know uh, from some of the shenanigans that happened at target and walmart during the pandemic uh mm-hmm. that pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh and um magic all had to be yanked from the shelves because there were a lot of bad people going in and just you know buying the whole shelf of stuff on the yes. day of release or getting into fights or, or causing problems and then young little kids like my youngest son isn't able to get his pokemon card so there you and go then he cries he cries and kind of yeah and you don't want young kids yeah. to cry and speaking of crying um, we would love to keep this show going week after week and month after month and year after year for you, which means that we need you to head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers and sign up today. Not only will you help this show grow and continue, you will get access to the pre-show that we were talking about a little bit ago. You can uh, go and listen to the dueling review live. We have flashback as an exclusive for our patrons. Uh, you get critical hit a week early and a whole lot more. When you uh, sign up at patreon.com slash major spoilers, we would certainly appreciate at least four of you signing up in the next week. You can also join our discord server and talk about these stories and a lot more. You can join our discord server for free. Of course, there is a link in the show notes. And if you are a patron already, or if you're about to become a patron, cause I know your finger is just hovering over that become a member button. Yep. Uh, if you are a patron, you can connect your Patreon account to the Discord, and then that unlocks a bunch of other uh, channels that we have on the server that will allow you to come and listen to us record Dueling Review live at 8 o'clock p.m. It allows you to participate in uh, pre-show chatter. It allows you to do uh, access critical hit and a bunch of other uh, stuff that is only accessible when you connect your Patreon and your Discord accounts. Find out more on that over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. As I said, no Ashley or Rodrigo this week, so we've got a very short review section, probably a shorter show overall, which is why so many people want to listen, listen to the intense conversation that yeah. Matthew and I were having. I'm sure everyone is having you know, their heart palpitations sure. or whatever after listening <laughs> to that. Um, why don't we start with a comic book? Because I've got a, I've got a trio of movies that I want to talk about. Uh, well, Matthew, like why, don't you, why don't you start uh, with Infinite Frontier number two from DC Comics? Certainly. Uh, written by Joshua Williamson with art by three separate teams. Uh, Juan Zermanico, Jesus Marino, and Paul Pelletier, uh, each handling different portions of the story. Infinite Frontier basically picks up after the Justice League re basically restarted the multiverse, which I think came at the end of Dark 52. Knights, colon, Death Metal, colon, oh, I thought it was 52. Uh, Adventure Film for the Universe. Do what? I thought it was 52 was the uh, reintroduction of the multiverse. Oh, no, no, no. That was a previous multiverse. This is a new multiverse. Hmm. Is that the one with Grant Morrison had the map to all the multiverses? No, it's a newer multiverse than that. Uh, Although the map is in this issue and it's the same map. Hmm. So it's interesting. Yes. The multiverse, or I should say the multiverses are back. 
And essentially, for all intents and purposes, everyone should be back in existence. The problem we've run into, as Alan Scott and his son Obsidian have noticed, not all of the Justice Society members have returned. And when they went to look up the Justice Society, they found that Jade, Obsidian's twin sister, is also missing. So in this issue, uh, they visit Mr. Terrific and the people who remember who the Justice Society were. And it's a really lovely moment because Obsidian is like, you know what, you guys talk too much. We're going to go kick ass. And of course, the thinking people are like, no, Obsidian, you're stupid. And Alan stands and he listens quietly. And at one point, Vandal Savage says to Obsidian, you're stupid. You're a distraction. Turns to Alan and says, send your brat home so we can do our real work. So Vandal Savage is a good guy? No, Vandal Savage is working with the Justice Society to help unravel these things, but he's still evil. At which point, a giant green hammer comes out of nowhere, smashes Savage down, and says, if you ever speak to any of my children like that again, you will wish you weren't immortal. That moment is worth two full stars in this issue, because it's a wonderful moment for Green Lantern, where he's finally like, you know what? We're going to go, and we're going to find my friends, we're going to find my daughter. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice, Superman and Batman get interviewed by uh, Agent Chase. You remember Agent Chase, the DEO? Yeah, I remember her. Yeah, Agent Abby, Ch- Abby Chase. Yeah. yeah. Agent Chase is working for Mr. Bones trying to figure out what's going on. And we actually get a trip across the multiverse. The various members of, do you remember the Justice League incarnate led by President Superman? No, I don't know that one. Okay. So they have an interdimensional justice league led by president Superman and things have happened where president Superman is now traveling around with Thomas Wayne flashpoint, Batman trying to figure out what happened and realizing that with everyone being back, certain people have ended up in a previous point of their timeline. So they run into say Magog, who is also evil. And now they have to figure out who else is out there and what's going on. And of course the third portion of the story features a man who's back from the dead. You know him, you love him. Speedy and or Arsenal of the former Teen Titans madness. But Arsenal has a ring, Stephen. You want to guess what color that ring is? Uh, is it is it uh, green and it's got an arrow on it? And when he flips it open, like a whole trick arrow bag comes out. And he slaps it on and he's like, ha ha, where is my dead daughter and cat now? We need need to hold on. Also, does he have his arm back or is that also dead? Does have his arm back. And with everyone in the multiverse coming back from the dead, maybe his daughter is alive as well. The problem he has is with this black lantern ring. It's not entirely sure whether he's back from the dead or not. Interesting. Yeah. So how does that, I, I'm not sure I haven't read infinite frontier and I probably should. Cause it sounds like a real trip. Yeah. Um, but how are they getting about the multiverse of multiverses? Do they have a transporter? Do they, are they using the, um, not the authority, but, uh, the bleed. Uh, yeah. The, the big ship that travels through the multiverse. The authorities carrier is one way through the multiverse. I believe supermen, uh, are, and flashes can just vibrate across dimensions. Okay which is what happens throughout this issue when president Superman flies around. But 
There's also, um, if you remember Multiversity, you remember they had a Marvel Universe? Right. Earth 8? Right. On Earth 8, one of the members of this new Interdimensional Justice League is Machine Head, who is an armored hero from Earth 8, who on his home planet is a rich guy who built his own armor because he had a heart problem. Hmm. So it's fun that the Justice League's uh, newest member is pretty much Iron Man. But it also does something that I really appreciate. It's this story, unlike previous attempts to you know streamline the continuity, is kind of embracing everything. It's not saying continuity yeah, doesn't no, matter necessarily, I, I, but it's saying that everything happens somewhere. Right. You just have to figure out where. And so, so Roy that brings can up find my, his daughter. If he so that brings up my next question. Mm-hmm. why is, I mean, it seems like everybody who's coming back or everybody who's around mm-hmm. from what you've described all sound like they're let's for lack of a better word, earth prime. They're all on earth prime or zero earth zero. They're all on earth zero. Why isn't Roy Har- Harper on earth 27 and his daughter is on earth 62? Well, there's a couple of answers to that one. I'm pretty sure earth 27 blew up, but uh, you are correct. It does seem to be very Earth Zero centric because we see fights taking place on basically Earths 5 through 24. And of course, Earth 41, which is totally not the image universe. But there's a lot of things on Earth Zero because, you know, that's basically the mainstream universe where everyone, including, you know, the, the general population, is now aware that there are other Earths. They've seen them in the sky. The fact that there's a multiverse and that multiple Superman and Batman and maybe multiple version of you, Stephen, exist. Oh, I'm sure that they do. Out. I mean, there's a there's a very good likelihood that a multiverse uh, does actually exist in our real world. If you mention dreaming, I swear to you. Well, so that's one gateway, right? That's one man. I mean, uh, me and President Biden and Kamala Harris and uh, Vice President uh, Harris and something about uh, water on the moon was the most recent thing. It was trippy, man. If you had had my dream, Matthew, you would be sitting there going, holy crap, this was so lifelike and real. It was crazy. Also, Putin was there <laughs> for some reason. Um, so yeah, it was very, it was very intense, but no, I, I'm just, uh, no, if you go and look at uh, current multiverse uh, theory, quantum mechanics theory, it's basically a given that there is a multiverse that is out there. We probably won't be able to see it because it's so far away. And you know, layers sliced bread and bubbles and all those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, the, the it's actually out there. So there could be another you, there could be another me or not. Maybe the other you and me are actually velociraptors. Who knows? I, I hope I'm not a velociraptor. Why? Because, because they make good chicken. About... <laughs> no, I'd have to walk around going, <laughs> but maybe, scared. maybe to velociraptor Matthew, that is perfectly normal. No, that's not normal. In any case, uh, this issue, I didn't want to love Infinite Frontier. And while I'm not completely in love with it, I am much more enamored of it than I thought. Because Dark Knight's death metal really upset me. Dark Knight's death metal, first of all, went on way too long. And just leaned really hard into the the negative grim dark. everything is burning down, the Batman who laughs nonsense. And... Coming out of it, I'm well, like, if they oh, had not, if they hadn't fired somebody and done his vision, uh, that death metal thing probably would have ended on the first series. 
it's possible. And, you know, if that is the case, then this may be good because I'm actually enjoying Infinite Frontier. It feels like it's trying to build something. And DC has very seldom had building periods, probably over the last 20 years. And when they do come around, like, you know, one year later, usually they don't last. So I'm happy to be in a building period. I'm happy to see characters kind of, excuse me, have the hiccups, kind of proactively trying to deal with a situation. And Green Lantern saying, we're going to go do this. And Roy Harper going, I'm going to figure this ring out. And Superman and Batman going, we're going to go punch people or something. But it really does kind of make me happy to see multiversity era characters and crisis era characters and zero hour era characters all kind of coexisting and saying explicitly, look, we know that we've been putting out comics for 85 years and you probably love some that nobody else does. And they're all out there and that's fine. Uh, I could use a little bit less Magog, but that's really always true. So I'm going to go with three and a half slices of meatloaf for Infinite Frontier number two. Joshua Williamson is doing interesting stuff, and I, I'm definitely wanting to see where this one wraps up. Now, it is a $5 comic, but it's also you know kind of double-sized. So you know you do have to balance that question of, if I'm technically buying two books, is it worth paying the price of one and a half? Yeah, I think most of DC's big books are now four ninety nine, and some of their yeah. upper title books, like a lot of their Batman stuff, are now five ninety nine. So it's yeah, starting to get a little pricey. For like annuals, and I would be, and stuff. I would be very interested to see if there is a. There probably isn't going to be a price drop because, unfortunately, fans are like, "Yes, please." Um, right. But it would be interesting now that they're under new ownership and they're, and I'm sure that there's going to be a push to uh, still make money. But oh, if sure. if they if their new corporate overlords don't have the uh, stance of, Oh God, we're desperate for money, you know, make money. Uh, or if they're going to be like, Hey man, just chill. You know, we're Canadian based at one point and now we're not. And you guys can go do what you want. Uh, it'd be hey, interesting to see if they comedy. start to drop the, drop the price. Remember when uh, they were going to hold the nine at line at two ninety nine? That was 15 years ago. Right. Which brings me to my next <laughs> question. Is Infinite Frontier setting itself up to be the same problematic issue that we had with the one year later stuff where we had all these events that happened in one year later, but we had 52 going on at the same time. And eventually the one year later stuff or the post convergence stuff or whatever that you want to think about, we're all supposed to align because isn't all the Infinite Frontier books that are currently out those take place in the future and this infinite frontier is supposed to be pushing us towards those future stories. The future state books were meant to be the future. Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely clear to be honest. The books that I'm following in the DC universe don't seem to be taking place in the same vein. Like flash is doing his own thing. And the but he's also not future is, state though. Right. Cause there's like future state no. Gotham and future state. Whatever, yeah, I'm not ever. reading the future state books. Um, wonder girl, I think. Oh God, how many issues of that have come out? I know I read a wonder girl. Um, but the, I think right now they're working on launching, um, John as Superman. Right. And then Clark taking over the authority. So yeah, cause they do have Superman and the authority comes out future books this week. Yeah. Or if it's just going to be one of those things where we set it up as tantalizingly out of reach, everything's 20 minutes into the future. I'm kind of liking this and I feel like they're throwing out a lot of mysteries in a, in a cool Grant Morrison sort of way. 
that I want to know about. Mm-hmm. And of course they brought Wally back as flash and they haven't made up for his ill treatment since uh flashpoint, but yeah, at the very is he least, still a wanted criminal for killing all those people. No, that turns out that that was, uh, that was a thing, but it happened. You put your, put your fingers in your ears and you go, la, 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 la. It happened. Everything happened. La, la, you gotta la, remember la. everything Actually, happened. I have, I've decided that heroes in crisis did not happen. <laughs> nope. Everything uh, happened. Identity crisis did it's not the, happen. Either. It's the infinite universe. That's my continuity. All right. My list, my uh, rules. This, this week, uh, I actually went to watch a series of movies on Netflix, which I didn't think I was going to like. Um, but then I started poking around in it a little bit and I was like, well, let me watch the first movie. And I was like, I kept seeing these ads on Netflix for fear street, 1994. And I was like, well, they keep forcing this ad on me. So let me watch this. And then I discovered it was actually three movies. And then I discovered it was based on the R.L. Stein middle-aged books, not real or young adult books, like uh, Goosebumps is for like little kids, like 10 year olds. Then they had the Fear Street uh, series of books that came out that were for older kids because they were a little bit more gory and had a little bit more intense situations. And so Fear Street 1994, 1978 and 1666 are all based on that. Uh, so written by R.L. Stein, Kyle Killian, uh, Phil uh, Graziadel die and Lee Janik Janiak uh, are the writers of this directed by Leah Janiak. Uh, all three of these movies were shot back to back to back, which was a big undertaking. But the, the nice thing is most of the actors, well, maybe all of the actors uh, have repeat performances or different performances in all three of the movies. So it's not like you had a whole different crew and a whole different uh, cast come in that you had to prep for because most of them were there for each of the movies. So Fear Street 1994 is basically your Scream meets Freddy Krueger type uh, horror fest. Uh, In this town, there are two there are two cities. There's uh, uh, Shadyside and Sunnydale. Sunnydale. Yeah. Uh, And uh, Sunnydale, everything is great. Everything is wonderful. But on Shadyside. There's depressed economy. Uh, the poor people live in shady side. There's also every so often a series of uh, serial killers that suddenly come out of nowhere and kill a bunch of people. And it's somebody that they know they're in shady side and they all try to blame it on the curse of the, of the witch of, uh, I forget what her name is. Um, Sarah fear, I think is her first name is Sarah. Um, and so there's always this thing that, oh, the, the Seraphir witch is going to get you. You got the curse. And so in 1994, these two kids, a brother and a sister, um, discover that uh, there is something to this, this tale. This friend of theirs goes and commits these horrible murders. And then the person who they thought was dead comes back to life and is kill, still killing people. And then more people that they thought were long dead, a, a serial killer from the 50s comes back and is killing. Somebody from the 70s is coming back and killing. And they really want to put the end to, to all of this. So there are some moments in this where if you don't like goriness, uh, you probably want to avoid it. Now, this isn't sla- uh, splatter porn. This is not, uh, you know, House of a Thousand Corpses. But it does get pretty close in that uh, someone gets a, an axe to the head and you see that happen. Somebody gets their head taken off. Somebody gets fed through a bread slicer. A little bit of a spoiler alert there. And then they come to realize that Um, there was one survivor from the last time one of these mass murders, uh, happened and she's still alive. And so they go to her house trying to, um, get help because the, the main girl, her girlfriend has been possessed by 
this ancient evil and they need to find a way to, to save her. And so they go to this woman's house, uh, played by, um, now I forget her name. She was on a community as the, as the blonde, you would know her name, Matthew. Um, but at that point, fear street, 1994 ends. And then you go and watch Jillian Jacobs, Jillian said, Jacobs, remembering yes. To unmute. Yes. Uh, then we jump into fear street, 1978, which is the older woman, Jillian Jacobs telling the story of when she was at camp and when the mass murderer, uh, went nuts at camp. And so this is more of a camp crystal Lake kind of story. Um, you also start to learn a little bit more about the witch's curse. You start to find out more about, um, the evil that goes on and you realize that this camp was, is, is located on the site of the original town called union, uh, from all the way back in the 1600s. Uh, and then all these horrible events happened, which caused the town to split into two parts, shady side and, um, and, uh, sunny, sunny vale. So we go through the whole camp horror, you know, Jason Voorhees uh, type thing that movie ends. And then you find out, oh, if we're really going to prevent the end of the curse, the story needs to jump all the way back to 1666. And of course, our main character is transported through the memories of the witch's bones to 1666. And we see who the real villain of the story is and how the curse came about and how Seraphir was really, um, really not at fault for any of this. And it was actually somebody else and that. That bloodline actually runs through to the present day of 1994 when this story takes place. So it is a very interesting series of movies. I am not a horror fan. I am especially not a fan of the, the splatter uh, porn stuff, but I found this very interesting in that you had a mix of older kids uh, and adults, you have some sexual-ish situations. Uh, you do get to see a lot of uh, girl-on-girls making out uh, in a couple of the movies and and some other things that might interest people. But it's also got a lot of of care, where these characters really care about one another. And they really care about trying to put an end to all of this evil that goes around. You can feel a little bit of R.L. Stein poking through here and there in, in some of the, the characters that he creates. There's a little boy that walks around with a bat and he wears a mask that makes him look like that ventriloquist dummy. And he goes around and bashes people's heads in with, with the bat. Um, but beyond just the, the three movies in themselves is the fact that number one, it was shot back to back to back. Originally this was done through 20th century Fox. And then, um, it, it was supposed to be released in theaters last year in 2020, but you know, pandemic and all that stuff. And then of course, right. Disney bought 20th century Fox. And when, now I will say that there are children who die in this Matthew, but they do it really well where the, those of those kids who are definitely supposed to be over 17, it's okay for them to just get beheaded on screen. But in the yeah. 1978 version of the film, there's a bunch of little kids at the camp who get murdered. Uh, and you see the murderer, um, start to swing and then you cut to a wide shot of the cabin. And so you don't actually see the kids getting beheaded or dismembered or anything like that. So I think that that's a little bit too much for Disney to try to do even through Hulu or anything like that. So yeah. they released the production company from their contract to go through 20th century Fox for distribution. And they went ahead and they sold it to Netflix. And what Netflix did, I have a, a really strong feeling that these three movies were supposed to be released either six months apart or every year around Halloween. Mm -hmm. Um, Netflix said, you know what? We're going to release 1994 the first week. Then the next week, you're going to watch 1978. And then the week after that, 
everything concludes with 1666, which was this past Friday is when that released. So I really appreciate the production of it. You know, very few uh, movies that are, uh, you know, of this venue, you know, Lord of the Rings, Back to the Future, two and three were shot back to the back. But very few movies are shot back to back to back uh, these days. Uh, And then also to do a stunt like releasing a new part of this. And these are two hour movies um, every week for basically the month that takes some real balls to do that. So I give Netflix uh, a lot of props for the way that they release this and the way they, they promote it. And the reviews are actually pretty good across the board. Um, this does feel like your old horror movies from, from the nineties and, and before, uh, I really enjoyed it. My wife didn't, she was like, Oh my God, you know, every time you know somebody got their head chopped off or something, ah, this is gross. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's pretty tame compared to other stuff that is out there. I enjoyed these. I think you might as well dear listener, if you're into some horror stuff and I'm really not. So it takes a lot for me to get into horror. So I would say that this is pretty tame horror. Um, I'm giving these three movies, all three of them, four out of five slices of meatloaf. Wow. Uh, I really enjoyed them. I think Matthew, you might enjoy them too. I know you and and your uh, widget, uh, enjoy, uh, some horror movies. And so the two of you might want to sit down and check these three movies out on, on the Netflix. Uh, and you can, you know, now that all three of them are out, you can certainly binge them all back to back to back if you want to do a Friday night into Saturday morning uh, horror movie marathon uh, or do like me and watch them over the course of three weeks and have some fun with that. So that's the Fear Street series uh, based on the book series, now a movie series. I They did leave it open at the end for a possible s- a series of sequels if they wanted to do that. Um, but at the same time, they also didn't. There, there's a finite finality to the, to the story, but there's maybe a, an opportunity to do something more. Um, but I think people will enjoy four slices of meatloaf out of five. Nice. Yeah. So you had not heard any, anything about these, Matthew. Uh, just you saying, Hey, there's these movies and I'm kind of psyched about them. Yeah. I, I don't know if I was psyched about them because I was like, Oh, okay. If I just watch this movie and then I was like fear street, 1994 <laughs> part one, I'm like, what is this? And then I watched it and then it's like coming fear street, 1978. And I was like, Oh man, I don't want to have to wait a whole year to watch this and remember that this movie came out and it's like, no, it's coming out next week. And I was like, what? And that's when I started looking into it. And then 1666 dropped. And by that point I was like, well, I need to see how this story ends now. So it's, it's a very interesting tale. It's a very interesting way of presenting the movies. And it's a great way to see, I, I I'm almost curious to see how these would have been released theatrically because they are so tied to one another that if you went and saw 1994 one year and then you had to wait a year to see what happened in 78 and then you had to wait a year to see what happened in 1666, you may have lost a lot of audience interest. But right. the way Netflix did it really did keep my interest and it kept them, at least through the month of July, uh, potential increase in subscribers, which we've already found out uh, didn't happen in the last quarter. So there you go. Uh, listeners, if you would like to contribute to the Major Spoilers podcast, All you got to do is reach out to us at 785-727-1939, and perhaps you will hear your words on the show in the future. This week in our trade paperback discussion, it's the unwritten volume one, Tommy Taylor and the bogus identity from Mike Carey and Peter Gross. This came out in 2010. I don't know how I passed on this, Matthew. Maybe it was because I was still reading um, or it had just come to the end fables. And the unwritten, when you first start reading it, is very much like Fables. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's also a Vertigo comic. Yeah, it feels like it's a little fable but it also feels like... Books of Magic. I don't know. Harry Potter. 
yes, Books of Magic is definitely there. And I think that's why I dropped out was because issue one, when I picked it up, was like, well, here's this thing going on. And it's very much like Books of Magic, which also had a lot of, you know, Mike Carey in it. And I'm just like, mm, no, because the first few, you know, pages of this uh, first issue, which is one of five collected in this this particular collection, is basically an adaptation of a Harry, I mean, a Tommy Taylor book, which then right. transitions to the real Tom Taylor being like, ha ha, I'll sign autographs for you now. And I'm like, I don't like any of this. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's a lot of discussion. So apparently uh, Tommy's dad uh, mm-hmm. started writing this series of books about Tommy Taylor, this little kid magician, and based it on his own son. Uh, right. Then after book 13, dad disappeared. Presumably dead. And um, the estate and the money and everything's kind of wrapped up in some shenanigans. And so Tommy goes around on the on the convention circuit because everyone believes that. Tom Taylor is Tommy Taylor. And so he goes to conventions. He makes money through appearances and all these kinds of things. And then a woman shows up one day and starts saying your social security number belongs to somebody else. And the pictures that, you know, people post of you as a little child are actually these other people's kids. And so Tommy Taylor, you are fake, which of course causes the entire world to go insane. And once people want to kill this guy because he's a fraud and how dare he, you know, sully the name of the Tommy Taylor books and lines. And then things start to get a little weird because there's a guy going around killing people. And we come to find out that Tommy, um, his dad really was like, Oh, you know, this fictional story, that is the real life location for this Dickens story, or that's the real life location for Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and all these things. And as the story progresses in this first volume, it gets weirder and weirder and weirder and becomes less about, Tom Taylor's life and more about this world where secret cults are, you know, thrusting people into the limelight through their, through their writing, like, uh, Rudyard Kipling, it becomes a, you know, a a character in the, in the final issue of this, of this trade. And if you do everything that these, these guys want, you write the stories that you want, they'll, you know, they'll make you famous and, and do all these things. But we start to come out, find out that maybe the words that you're writing are also real in another kind of universe way. And that maybe Tom Taylor really is Tommy Taylor and his dad pulled him from a magical world into this world. (laughs) And it, it just gets really, really weird about, you know, what is reality and what, you know, can you wish something into creation also talks about how words are very, very powerful so much so that, you know, we've talked before. I kind of wish Rodrigo was here because he could give us all another lesson on the Tulpa where, right. you know, you can wish something to life. And I think Tom Taylor is kind of a Tulpa. And, and I kind of think that, you know, words have power and have the ability to create. And this secret cult or whoever they are is very interested in making something happen or preventing something from happening. Yes, but we don't really know what. And I feel like it is difficult to launch a new book. It's very difficult to get something off the ground. And, you know, the, the fablesiness of it all, I feel like is just kind of, honestly, it's a reaction to the fact that fables was incredibly hot in 2010. 
this was a let's get people hooked on something and make sure that it feels fablesy so that we can build it into something else. And, well, and especially since the the very first thing is, uh, you know, the 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 vampire guy blowing a horn, and and Boy Blue was you know one of the main characters in Fables who blew his <laughs> horn and made things happen. Um, right. But I yeah, so I I understand where you're coming from that it's hard to to start something new, but I also think that the fact that especially with Vertigo with their books of magic and how Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't believe that Harry Potter is not just a books of magic ripoff, then go and read both of them again and you'll quickly see, <sighs> see that. So I kind of like how Vertigo and Mike Carey are kind of like, yeah, you know, if you kind of want to just make a Harry Potter ripoff, we're totally okay with that. Well, and you know, I don't necessarily, I, first of all, I hate the word ripoff simply because I, I'm a comic fan and the history of comics is the history of people swiping from each other. Batman exists because all American wanted to rip off Superman. They literally said, let's create another guy like that Superman. But on a metatextual level, the idea that Mike Carey is writing a story about someone who wrote a story that might be real kind of gives it another level. We're reading a story, but we're also sort of participating metatextually in Tom Taylor's life. And I feel like that is a pretty solid hook to differentiate this from, you know, a fables oh, or sure, a sure, books sure. of magic, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it does also suffer from a problem of familiarity in that Tom Taylor's adventures are very much meant to be an ersatz Harry Potter. And that to me, I feel like is the biggest weakness of this volume is, I mean, I know Harry Potter in a very, colloquial sense i've seen the harry potter movies because you can't avoid them i read the first four books because my wife had them but i also read this and i'm like yeah that's your hermione character that's your ron character this is your voldemort character and you know tom as this living person trying to come to terms with the idea of maybe being harry potter is to me not necessarily made the center of this story it's not like it's not the star of the dish. No, it's uh, it's actually not terms. because I was really surprised. I was like, oh, okay, so this is going to be, he discovers he has this power. He discovers he has this uh, Tommy Taylor uh, thing and all these things start. And those things do kind of happen, but those happen in like the first two or three right. issues. And then the final two is all about happen ar around him. Yeah. And then the final two just take the story off in a completely different direction. And I was kind of like, wow, this is a huge kind of swerve that I wasn't expecting to suddenly spin an entire issue about Rudyard Kipling and then yeah, somehow tie Kipling that and Mark Twain talking to each other. And I'm yeah. just like, that that's interesting though, because you know, one of the things that Carrie has said about this book was that it kind of sprouted out of AA Milne's son, Christopher, uh -huh. who was the real life basis for Christopher Robin and you know how he dealt with that. Cause you know, at some point you're going to hate Christopher Robin. It's like, you know, my kid for a while hated things that I liked. And now she's, you know, doing her thing and whatever. But you also have that moment of whatever your life is, you hate that. So if you were Christopher Robin or if you were, you know, the person that people expect you to be Christopher Robin, that's going to be frustrating. And that's what I thought was the center of this. And it totally isn't. It, it you know, flies off into world building stuff that on the one hand is interesting. It's fascinating in a lot of ways to break it down, but it's also a little tiring. Um, 
by the end of this book, I was just like, so, so what, what are we doing here? Yeah. And that's the thing that I was kind of disappointed with because this only collects the first five issues. And I was like, oh, this has got to be like a 12 issue, 13 issue run. And then I go and look and it's like, oh no, there's like nine volumes of this stuff. Uh, so I was, I kind of style it's based on Sandman, get as many volumes as you can. Yeah. I do want to go and read more of this, uh, just because of the way it kind of left you hanging and asking questions. I do see where you're coming from that, you know, 12 years later, we're looking at this going, oh yeah, this is all familiar because we've had 12 years of other media uh, to influence us. Right. So had this come out in 2010, we might've said, yeah, this is kind of like fables, but not. And we would have said, just like we're saying now, this is kind of like Harry Potter, but it's more like thumbing their nose at Harry Potter and then going off in another direction. Um, I just, I was not, I wasn't disappointed with this book. I don't know if I'm disappointed because I didn't come in with a lot of expectations. I, I, you know, my main memory is I didn't like issue one, but I'm willing to revisit anything, especially when it comes to the podcast, because we've done collections where I discovered I really liked the collection, even though the individual issues ticked me off. Um, this one leaves me about the same place. When I finish this volume, I feel kind of the same way that I do uh, after I read or that I did after I read issue one 10 years ago, which is this is interesting and layered and nuanced, but it is just in no way for me. I, I kind of I, felt I kind of felt when I was reading this, to be honest, I kind of felt like this feels a little bit like die, right? Where. Yeah. Um, we're going into, in the, in the case of die, you're going into this D 20 world where every, uh, facet of the die is a different world based on a different time period of, uh, RPG games. And this one kind of felt that same way because, oh, let's go back and see what's going on with Rudyard Kipling and how he found out about this. And we learn about, uh, what is it? Uh, Byron and Shelley and, and, um, uh, others and, and yeah, Mary, Mary Shelley and. Well, and Percy and, and some others. And I was just like, oh, this is very interesting how we're kind of taking this trip through popular fiction and saying, well, maybe these people didn't become famous on their own, but through some other means. And what does this mean? I kind of want to get to the point where at least we discover, okay, what's the conspiracy, right? I'm not sure I mm-hmm. want to go through and see, okay, well, how does he, you know, stop the conspiracy or what, you know, what is his next adventure out of that? And maybe not so much into that, but I want to see what is the conspiracy doing? I want to see what is this shadow group? What is their end goal? What do they want to do? And right. I'm willing to read this book up until that point, And then based on that, then I will decide whether I want to continue on or not. I don't think that this goes all the way up to, you know, issue 49 of 50 when we, the conspiracy is finally revealed and then everything wraps up in, in one issue. Right. Um, so I, I have a feeling that, you know, another six to 12 issues, we figure out kind of what the conspiracy is. Then we spend a bulk of the time fighting the conspiracy or trying to get the clues to stop the conspiracy. And then we, mm-hmm. in the last, we get the, the denouement and the epilogue of, of the story. Other French words as well. I'm sure you do. Uh, so for me, I, I, I enjoyed this first volume a lot. The art was just so, so to me, it's vertigo style art. So I found with Vertigo, you either love it or you hate it. Um, It is, I don't want to say it's traditional. It's not traditional comic book art because it is traditional comic book art. Um, But when we look at the history of Vertigo and we look at how their art style is very on the edge, you can see where this book gets its art inspiration from. But also 
looking after 2005 or so, a lot of other publishers are also starting to adopt the let's do some edgy art in our comics, uh, especially yeah. as we start to see the the explosion of smaller publishers doing that. So this kind of art is out there everywhere, but maybe not so much back in in 2010. Yeah, this definitely feels like a classic Vertigo take. You can see the DNA of Sandman. You can see the DNA of Hellblazer in this art. And that's good. You know, that's something that you can definitely appreciate and kind of, you know, look at and say, hey, this is kind of a product of its time. This is the late end of Vertigo. I feel like this is kind of the point where Vertigo started not necessarily going downhill, but not being treated by DC as one of their premier imprints again. And, you know, by the time we get to 2017, 2018, Vertigo just disappears. But I also feel like, you you know, you mentioned Fables a couple of times. This first issue really feels like a Fables book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when when you have something that is so visually distinctive, you know, especially the Mark Buckingham issues of right. Fables. Right. You, you get into this and you're just like it can be distracting. It'd be very daunting to try and change that, that reader perception in your brain. And when you're looking at, you know, a book where this one is, you know, five issues with different artists moving back and forth, especially that last issue, which I kind of enjoyed, Mm -hmm. you kind of have a point where again, once again, there doesn't seem to be a real set identity yet for what an unwritten is going to look like at this point. And, that could be good. I mean, that worked for Sandman in those early days where they would change artists, but it just kind of adds to my feeling of kind of unrest here of maybe this just isn't, isn't for me. You know, this it is, may not be, this is Mike Carey. You know, Mike Carey's Lucifer never appeared, appealed to me uh, when he did, he did a Sandman, a Petrifax limited series that just did not work for me. And of course, Carey's one of the guys who did Hellblazer back in the day. And I love Jamie Delano's Hellblazer. I like Garth Ennis's Hellblazer. I like some of the crazy, wacky Hellblazer. Not really a huge fan of the Mike Carey Hellblazer. So yeah, so you're just not a fan of Mike Carey. I I, I don't think he speaks to me. And yeah, that's fine. and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I enjoyed it. I love the meta conversation that's going on here. Uh, I really do. Again, going back to the conversation about dreams and the multiverse uh, from earlier, I do like that discussion on. Are you willing worlds to life? Are you, you know, are you creating tulpas? Is Tommy tomorrow a tulpa? Are, you know, all of these kind of bigger mysteries of the universe discussed in the pages of a comic book, uh, I think are always fascinating, especially when they're not, you know, coming out directly and saying, here's what this means. You're leading, you're being led on an adventure to kind of discover it at the same time as the main character is. Uh, I, I rather enjoy that. Uh, and I'm hoping that in the long run that 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 there is kind of a payoff. I definitely want to read the next two volumes of this just to see where this goes. I probably mm-hmm. would be less interested if like the next three or four issues are, oh, this was Richard Kipling. Now, let's go and look and see how um, uh, what's his name? Who wrote the H.G. Wells? Let's see how H.G. Right. Wells dealt with these people. Oh, now let's just go and see how this person dealt with this organization. If that's the way it right. was for the next couple of issues. I'd be like, mm, okay, um, then that's where I'm going to tap out. Also, if it is, hey, all these weird things keep happening to me, Tom, Tom, tomorrow I got a, uh, you know, a 
tattoo on my hand that a cat shows up out of nowhere and this thing and this thing without explanation, mm-hmm. then I think you start to get into that um, mystery box type storytelling, which I'm not a fan of. If right. you're just introducing mystery after mystery after mystery without an explanation, at some point your audience needs an explanation. And I'm hoping in the next one or two volumes of this, by the time you hit issue 12, you should have an explanation as to what is going on in this world. And that's yeah. what I'm hoping happens. So for me, I'm on board for, you know, five, six more issues of this, which would be the next two volumes. Cause I, I right. think they collect them in, um, five issue volumes. And so the next one I think goes up to issue 10. And then after that, it would go up to, uh, 15. So I, I would definitely read the next two volumes of this. I mean, I will, if we do it for the show. Oh, I'm not saying we would do it. I'm not saying we would do it for a show. I mean, Ashley and Rodrigo are not here. They probably both hated this, which is probably also why they didn't show up for this. (laughs) That's why they're not here. Yeah. They had to duck out because they didn't want to make anybody mad, especially if people do sort of exist when they don't. But yeah, this is not for me and it's not even bad. It's not something that I can say this is not, you know, a quality book because there are parts of it, parts of it. I don't even know. There are parts of uh, this trade paperback that I find absolutely engaging, just utterly brain melting stuff. And I really do like the bits with Kipling and I really do like some of the whole, the, the meta textual breakdown, but it's just not coming together as a whole for me. And it kind of feels like it's all over the place. And you can absolutely devote time to sitting down, waiting and putting it all together but I don't necessarily feel like that's something that I want to do. Or at and least not with I this, not with this book though. Right. Cause not based on what I'm seeing here. That's, yeah. I mean, that was kind of the whole premise of uh, Watchmen, right? Where you got to sit down and you got to wait and you got to read through everything and, and put things together uh, for that We're book to come Watchmen. out. If you read it in a trade, yeah, sure. Everything makes sense. But if you had to go month yeah. to month, I'm sure there were infuriating parts. Oh, I love point. trades. Yeah. Trades are the best. Yeah. Me too. All right. Uh, I think that's where we're going to do it. I'm giving it a thumbs up. Go check it out. Matthew's saying it's a pass for him, uh, but it's up to you to figure out uh, what you want to do with that. So we're going to wrap up this installment of the Major Spoilers podcast right here. Thank you so much, everybody, for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Of course, as I mentioned, we love your feedback. Uh, You can join all the cool kids over on the Discord server. There is a link in the show notes. And we really, really, really would appreciate if you would take a moment, if you're not already a patron, please head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers and consider signing up. Look at all the extra stuff that you can get based on the level that you're at. For example, if you're at the $10, the gold member level, uh, there's a monthly VIP live chat where we talk to you about what's going on at major spoilers. That's happening this Saturday at one o'clock PM central time. So if you're a patron, uh, be on the lookout for that. Also, if you're not a patron and you want to get in on that and talk about some behind the scenes stuff going on, Definitely get into that. If you want to hear Matthew and I discuss space travel, uh, you get the pre-show all about that. So there's a whole bunch of stuff you get when you become a patron at patreon.com slash major spoiler. So I'm not asking just for myself. uh, I'm asking for Matthew and Ashley and Rodrigo and everybody who contributes at majorspoilers.com for you to go over and uh, consider becoming a patron today. Next week on the show, Matthew, as I'm looking at this, oh, Mm -hmm. we're just back to just chat about whatever. Because next week we have a general chat show. I don't know where we're going to go. Maybe you, dear listener, have an idea of what you would want us to talk about. That's a good reason to get over on that Discord server 
And because um, you can go in there and you can make a show suggestion ideas, jump into the Major Spoilers channel and say, hey, can you guys talk about this? Or you can send us an email at podcast at Majorspoilers.com and maybe we'll bring it up. Who knows what is going on next time? I have a game in my head that I have to do a little bit more research on. I'm not sure I can get it done by next week. But uh, next <laughs> week, it is the general chat show. Why? Because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron, I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fun bee in the Middle East with a king sign throwing soldier. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.